Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. lineup for this evening. Um, tonight's show is kicking off several UFO-themed shows. It's like Halloween in August and September, uh, but I don't think anyone will complain. It's uh, about a month until the Mothman Festival, and we have... Um, you know, Mothman, Keelian, cryptid researchers joining us tonight. Uh, starting off with um, Jackie and Bill Kusilis. They are the authors of Bridging the Tragedy, uh, Silver Linings in the Mysterious Ohio River Valley. And they will be returning this year to present at the Mothman Festival, which is... Uh, Saturday, September 16th, and Sunday the 17th. Um, We also have Steve Ward. He's the host of the Always Thought-Provoking High Strangeness Factor, and he is the MC. Uh, But wait, there's more. We also have leading tri-state cryptid researcher Brian Seach returning for about his third show and you know we're uh, glad Bill could join us on his birthday happy birthday Bill Um, try to get Rob Halford to sing happy birthday uh, Uh to you but you know you may have to settle for uh, Jeff Walmsley or the Frick brothers if they call in so um, glad everyone is here for tonight's all-star 
Mothman, cryptid, Ohio Valley, strange happenings uh, show. So how's everyone doing? Great. Wow. Really good, thanks. Okay. Um, Maybe we should uh, start off with uh, Steve since you can find him um, at the museum, and he is one of the big wigs at the festival. So, uh, Steve, what's uh, the latest from the museum? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the festival lineup and speakers, all the e- events going on. What if people descend on Point Pleasant in about a month? Um, what will they experience? Hear that, Brian? I'm a bigwig. Write that down. Okay. <laughs> but, but I just down. did. <laughs> uh, well, everything's going on. Uh, uh, Jeff Wansley, he, uh, he has just retired uh, after, I think, 16 years in graphic design. And now he's got even more time to create stuff. He is uh, has been working on an escape room themed on on the whole Mothman uh, situation, um, and there's all kinds of uh, new things going on. Uh, I see he's done some rearranging and added some stuff in the Mothman Museum. Uh, people are always thrilled to be there. I I talked to a family from Nicaragua last week. Uh, people come wow. from all over the world. I mean, it's just just amazing. Um, uh, people will be descending. On the on the on the Mothman Festival, uh, parking will probably be a challenge. And you know, I, I wish I had the the book in front of me, but I there's a uh, there's a line, there's a paragraph in the Mothman prophecies that John Keel writes, almost as if he was was uh, psychically tuning into the future and seeing the Mothman Festival. And he talks about how it was open season on the human race, that they 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 marched down from the muddy hollers across the back roads. Uh, and it, you know, he's talking about the uh, the, the creatures that it, and the and the weird things going on. But man, it sounds to me like like uh, the Mothman Festival attendees. Uh, it was huge last year. I expect it to be even bigger this year. Got a great lineup of speakers. Uh, Bill and Jackie will be there speaking. Uh, I will be speaking on John Keel. Um, boy, there's just so much to say. Uh, one thing, one thing you have to be aware of you if you get there early saturday morning go right to the information booth and get your ticket for the tnt hayride the tnt of course is the uh that area nine miles north of point pleasant where the mothman was first seen and uh we take people out uh, and into the dead of night on saturday night three carts three hayrides and uh it's set up a little bit like a halloween hayride i Uh even have have gotten a bunch of stuff in from Amazon today and uh, collected from some of the critters I used to put out front in my Halloween display in Michigan. And you're going to see some of them in the shadows with their eyes lit up, you know, and try, just to try and give a little bit of uh, extra, oh, I don't know, kick to the festival. But you will meet the men in black. They're a guaranteed flyover of the Mothman. Um, they're just, uh, there's so much going on and there's, there's so much to see both uh, history you know the the real history i know the weird history much better but uh it's uh people just absolutely love point pleasant and have so much fun at the festival 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, uh, Jack and Bill, you are returning for two years in a row. Um, what is your presentation about this year? Well, hey, Mark, thanks for having us on again. Um, last year, we had the good fortune to be able to release our book, Bridging the Tragedy, just a week before the festival. So we really debuted it at the festival. We gave a pres- presentation last year about uh, the methods that we followed and the, the system we had set up, the research plan, and the people who we interviewed and the things that we found in the book. And we're going to go a little bit more into that again this year, um, we do have a second version of the book that's going to be coming out that we hope to have shipped to the museum here coming up uh, in the next few days. Jackie just got the final draft uploaded today, and um, we're going to be debuting that. And that's one that has updated cover art, and it also has illustrations in it. So we have all kinds of pictures that we snapped of people who we interviewed for the book last year or two years ago when we began it as well as some different landmarks and some different snapshots that we think will make good sense for people. And we have a foreword that was written by one of our participants' sisters. Uh, They had lost their sister-in-law in in the Silver Bridge disaster. So we'll be talking about that a little bit too. And we're also going to be debuting our research plan for our next book, the next study. And we'll be looking for participants for that project too. So we'll be talking about that during our presentation as well. Okay. Um, Jackie, how does it feel to uh, return to, you know, the lineup uh, for a second year and, you know, visiting Point Pleasant for the upteenth time? Uh, it's really exciting for me. I, um, because Bill doesn't, we never went to the Mothman Festival itself (laughs) until last year when we presented, but I thrived, I thrive in that kind of environment and I am so excited. I'm, I'm curious to see how many people or how packed it'll be this year because last year was just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And, um, what was the the estimate? It was like twenty five thousand people. You know, uh, I heard twenty five thousand. I also heard thirty thousand. So I'm I'm not positive. When we were just out there a few weeks ago, Jeff said he thought it was more like fifteen. But what does he know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think fifteen to twenty thousand sounds about right. But uh, there's there are probably. Uh, more people on Main Street during that, uh, you know, the Saturday and Sunday than county the rest of the year. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and it, you know, it it, it looked uh, very well attended, and you know, we'll have to talk about getting together for uh, Friday night. Uh, kickoff dinner at the uh, village pizza uh, later too. But, um, you know, uh, Brian, you've been uh, uh, down there or uh, do you need a ride 
down on Friday. <laughs> I I don't know if I'm going to make it this year. Probably not, but I don't want to count count myself out yet. I love that we were there last year. Uh, fortunate enough to speak there uh, twice. Uh, hopefully next year, maybe again. Ten ten, Steve Ward. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, well, Brian, um, Brian, you have to make it. We got the Bigfoot suit and the dunk tank already. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, just just to say that uh, Jeff Walmsley and and even you know Steve is a big part of it too. Uh, the, the John and uh, Tim Frick, they, these guys do an awesome job. They pour their heart out into this festival. It is one of the best festivals uh, in the United States, no doubt. Um, whoever's mm-hmm. listening has not has not been there. Please go. I mean, you're going to have such a great a great time. You really are. Oh, it, it, it's without a doubt the best uh, festival in the state, as well as the greater Ohio Valley. Exactly. And it's so so unique. I, I mean. Uh, uh, I guess there are other cryptid festivals, but this this one has so much going for it. The the history and the folklore, uh, and 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 like I say, the real history of the American Revolution and so forth. Uh, it's just, uh, and, and the people here are really friendly. And uh, and one uh-huh. thing I'm grateful for is I just live up the street now. I don't have to come down early. And, and get, a, get a room, you know, two years beforehand and carry all the stuff down that I need. So that's a blessing. Steve, I wanted to, you know, when you said that, the artwork, too, in Point Pleasant is second uh-huh. to none with the statues and the, the mural. Yes. I mean. So on the flood wall? Yes. Yeah. And Bob Roach has done other sculptures, not just the Majestic Mothman. But if you walk down the flood wall along the river, you'll see Daniel Boone, Chief Cornstalk, Mad Ann Bailey. You go a little further, and you'll hit Tewende Way Park, where the two rivers come together. Chief Cornstalk is buried there, and the first battle of the Revolutionary War took place. Also, a couple blocks north of the museum, you see the where the, the Silver Bridge used to be on 6th Street. It used to go over to Ohio. There's a mural there, and a, a memorial, and the 46 names of the people that died on the bridge. So there's, uh, within a short walking distance, uh, you can see so much. Okay. Um, Jackie, um, Steve just mentioned one of the points in your book that I, I wanted to uh, bring up, and you know, might as well just uh, get into it since Steve, Steve just um, uh, made reference to the um, memorial. Um, on 285 of your Bridging the Tragedy, you have Table 5 and um, – you show uh, about six of the um, dimensions of post-traumatic growth, and you, know, uh, you have uh, meaning is uh, corresponds with uh, a memorial. Um, can, can you explain explain a little bit about what? what you mean in that table five and 
how memorials help a town to overcome such a horrific event that Point Pleasant experienced. Sure. Hey, Mark, you threw a curveball at me here. That's kind of a complex question. I don't have the book in front of me, but thankfully, um, Jackie and I have been editing through uh, version two to make sure we've got all of our ducks in a row. So I, I am kind of recently well-versed with taking a look at those tables again. And um, thank goodness, because otherwise I wouldn't know where to go with those. <laughs> but uh, the table you're referring to, basically, uh, the way that we set the book up in the first place is it's really, it's literally written like a doctoral dissertation. So it's got the main, the five chapters that you would have for a dissertation, which are the introduction and the literature review and methodology and the data analysis and then the conclusions. But it's got all the interviews interspersed in between those. So that really made it more humanizing than just a, an academic paper. So what you're talking about is the table where we basically tied into what we found in the study to the existing or pre-existing psychological literature. So what you're referring to as meaning and memorial, meaning was one of the dimensions of post-traumatic growth that we got from the literature review, which is just to give you kind of a background in what existing literature is out there. And then what corresponded to that with <clears throat> memorial was People really, you don't want to say celebrate because you're not celebrating a bridge disaster, right? I mean, that's a horrific event, no question. But, but it's important to commemorate what happened with those people. And so with respect to the meaning, the memorials let people kind of crystallize their taking of meaning from that horrific event. So. You've got the statues, you've got the murals that Jackie was talking about, and you've got the, the, the different ceremonies. All these different things serve to commemorate where we've come from as a society or as a community in Point Pleasant, Gallup Police, Ohio, and where we are today. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we've done so many shows on you know mounds and earthworks um that you know i think that you know uh listeners uh you know r realize that you know building a a, a mound uh, you know at the confluence of you know, a creek and you know a, a river, or you know, wh you know wherever they want the site was chosen. It 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 is a acknowledging that you know an ancestor was laid to rest there. It's uh, it's not denying that they were never part of the community and. As I was going back through your book uh, to prepare for tonight's discussion, um, with all the research you and Jackie did on post-traumatic growth, um, it, it sounds like the people of o over time, the people Point Pleasant uh, 
processed what happened, and it, they they went about dealing with the situation the right way, where so many people uh, who, who were uh, affected went on to become uh, outstanding members of the community. Is is that a fair portrayal? I think so. Did you want to talk about uh, a couple of the people that Mark's referring to? Oh, you know, you know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, if Jackie wants to talk about a, a, a couple uh, examples, that's fine. Uh, you know, I just uh, if. Uh, you know, listeners didn't hear last year's show where we uh, spoke about post-traumatic growth. I was trying to do a lead-in to you know, the uh, uh, theme of bridging the tragedy and how, uh, say, Table 5 actually shows that you know the community and church and everyone rallied together to get through this difficult time. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think the community of Point Pleasant did such a fantastic job of really rallying around one another. You know, we talked to so many really interesting people. Um, I think one of the biggest examples of post-traumatic growth would have been a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Wedge. Did you want to talk about Jimmy a little bit, Jackie? Jimmy Wedge lost both of his parents um, when the bridge collapsed. Um, and he, he was such an excellent interview. And he was so fun. And, you know, I, we were really humbled when he came forward and volunteered to be part of the study because he never really gave interviews before in the past, like maybe one other interview. And um, so so we were just really humbled that he wanted to actually be part of our study. And, you know, him losing both of his parents, he was, um, we, you know, we really didn't know what to expect. But what I expected was that he would be different, different than what he was because about, that he was so grateful for um, being 25 when the bridge went down and his parents passed away, that he was old enough to understand it and that he was grateful that he wasn't a younger person that would not have been able to process all of that. And at the time he was a head coach of the boys basketball, high school basketball team. He went on later Uh to become the mayor of Point Pleasant, and then later served in legislation for West Virginia. So there's a huge, huge uh, example of post-traumatic growth. Okay. So does, did Jimmy attribute, um, A specific uh, event or a mentor ha- helping him. Uh, how how did he go th- through this uh, 
you know, losing, you know, both parents at the same time and, you know, comes out the other side um, as, you know, uh, someone who had a very uh, prosperous career in uh, local politics. Jimmy told us that he was the youngest. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can go ahead. Well, I was going to say Jimmy told us he was the youngest of, I think, four kids. And he was 25 Mm -hmm. at the time, so meaning his siblings were at least a few years older than he was. But he did Mm -hmm. say that he had a... He had an uncle, his dad's brother, I believe, who flew in from Florida. And he was like a corporate vice president of an airline, if I remember correctly. And Jimmy said that he really kind of, he was only there for a week, but he made sure and took care of the funeral arrangements, the burials, and really took care of the business affairs so that the, the adult kids, Jimmy and his siblings, really wouldn't have to deal with that. And he said that he was really grateful that his uncle had come in. He said he stepped in and just did a fantastic job. But other than that, you know, Jimmy really talked about, I think, really gathering strength from his siblings and just had a real sense of family and community with them. And then he said the community of Point Pleasant was exceptionally supportive. He said it's just that kind of a little town. When people need something, there's somebody there to help. And we heard that from many of the people we talked to. And I and I also, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I also believe that during the interview, he said that when he made decisions in his life, he was always able to kick things off of his mom. His mom was the one that was always there to give him sound advice, and she was a very matter of fact about it. So um, he said that when he would talk or try to make life choices, he would think about, would my mom and dad be proud of me mm-hmm. in the choice he's making? Yeah, he mentioned that his mom was very much a, kind of a recluse. I mean, she managed the household and took care of the family, but she didn't socialize and didn't do much outside of the house at all. But she ran that house like a really tight ship. The dad was a little bit more uh, of an outgoing kind of a guy. He was soft-spoken, but... He was a businessman and he worked out of town as a, as a corporate vice president also. But with mom, one of the things that sticks out in my head is that Jimmy said that he could go to his parents if he got into a little bit of a financial bind and he could talk to them. He said, mom would give me hell. He said, she'd read me the riot act and then she'd give me the money. He says, when your mom and dad are both gone, (laughs) you don't really have anybody to lean on. So he said, I really missed that. Okay, you know, this unfortunate event happened when Jimmy was 25. Um, With the research you've uh, done for bridging the tragedy and and the other uh, uh, trauma uh, book you're working on, have you noticed – age uh, playing the age at which the the traumatic event happened is is a way to minimize the impact um, is 
has that been investigated by other people or or your conclusions similar to what uh, other researchers are saying? Well, post-traumatic growth as a phenomenon is about a 20- or 25-year-old concept. It's relatively new. You know, whenever mm-hmm. we mention the word post-traumatic, the first thing people think of, of course, is post-traumatic stress disorder. So post-traumatic growth is kind of a, a counterintuitive thing because you don't stop to think when you're going through really difficult, challenging, painful circumstances, what good is going to come next because you're usually focused on the pain. But once you work, start working through that and find ways to be able to grow past it, we did find a lot of things common. I mean, there were a lot of things that we found in the literature review for, you know, pre-existing studies that were done about post-traumatic growth that did really correspond pretty directly to what we found when we interviewed the people in the Ohio Valley. And a lot of that, you know, it, it seems to me that age certainly can help. Now, Jimmy Wedge was 25 at the time of the disaster. And when we interviewed him, he was 79 years old. So he was the oldest of the people that we interviewed after him. There were, I think, two or three people that were in like the 72-year-old range. So they would have been 18 years old when this happened. And the rest Mm -hmm. of them kind of went a little bit younger than that. Jeff Wamsley was the youngest. And he would have been, I think, six when it happened and 60 when we interviewed him. So Jimmy, I mean, certainly from what I was able to gather from the work that we did, seemed to really be able to illustrate more things of post-traumatic growth or dimensions of post-traumatic growth than the others did. But I think part of that was because he was older. Part of it was because he was really connected with his family and the, the communities in general. He got a lot of support from them too. But we did find, as well as in other cases prior to our study, that faith plays a big role. You know, if you have a faith in a higher power or God or religion or what have you, some sense of spirituality, that kind of tends to give meaning to circumstances that seem like they're so horrific that you wonder why they even happened. So that's certainly an aspect that goes across many different areas in in uh, these types of things. But uh, the community, family, uh, and then focusing on personal development and taking good perspectives, those things are all kind of they're a little universal. They're in all kinds of different studies that, that we've uh, looked at, and they also showed up in this one. Interesting. I, I, um, things, you know, keep, keep reading your book, it you know, brings out questions like that. I, um it's not just a, a recap of you know the legend uh, you know you, you're going into uh realms that um, really aren't associated with uh what happened but you make the entire story more personal and you know uh, people can uh, extract lessons from your interviews with those who were there or saw 
saw something in the the immediate aftermath. It's um, I think a very uh, thought provoking book. Thank you for that. I mean, we we really feel like the best parts of the book are the individual interviews where you get to see, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that these people perceive what happened in their lives, you know, and certainly Silver Bridge disaster is front and center in the book, but there are people who did speak of their paranormal encounters as well. In fact, we had a couple people who participated who spoke almost specifically about their paranormal encounters. And then I think three or four other ones talked about seeing UFOs, which was pretty neat. The, The stories in the book are riveting. And especially if you uh-huh. have a connection to Point Pleasant, you know some of the people and the families. It really brings it home. But uh-huh. uh, you, it's a book you, you seriously cannot put down. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 I would. Yeah, I, I agree with Steve. Thank you. Yes, thank and, you very much. And, and Brian, you're at the opposite end of the Ohio River. Valley, uh, and just a uh, short canoe ride up upstream from me. Um, but a- as you cover all these uh, paranormal events in the northern panhandle, uh, uh, western Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio, uh, you know, even uh, uh, Keel mentions New Cumberland and Weirton. Um, ha- have you encountered uh, stories similar to what Jackie and Bill have been uh, discussing? Uh, there's uh, maybe the uh, Browns Island. Uh, factory explosion might be something comparable, but um, you know, with the, just indiv- at least with the individual eyewitnesses who have seen uh, a Bigfoot type creature, um, are, are are they having? Um, Like expressing post-traumatic growth, or uh, at least having some kind of life-changing event. Well, it's it, it, it's interesting. We we've been down here now. Uh, we live in uh, oh yeah, as you well, as you know, Mark, we live in uh, Weirton, which for people Weirton, West Virginia, which is in Hancock County, and people who don't know exactly where that is, if you see a map. We're that little, we always say that we're the tip of the middle finger of West Virginia, right? We're in that little slice mm-hmm. between Ohio and PA. And so we've been here about, uh, actually it was two, we bought our house actually two years ago, I think, uh, uh, two days ago, actually. And so we've been down here two years. And so far we are starting to get reports. Uh, actually, we got a report of a the best I can describe it is a Jersey devil type creature. The guy drew it for us. Uh, we're going to meet with him here in a couple of weeks. And he actually saw it fairly close to, uh, to where we live here in Hancock County. And it changed his life because after he saw that, he started to get really interested in UFOs and all paranormal, paranormal. Mm-hmm. And he actually, um, 
And then this was years ago when he saw it. He didn't give me a time frame, but it had to be at least probably 15 years ago. Now he has talked to people and who he's going to get us in touch with of uh, people seeing Black Panther reports uh, in this area. And we just got a, re- a report of a gentleman who claims he saw one of these Black Panthers here by a, uh, a dump here in uh, Brook County, uh, which is the next county over from Hancock. And uh, mm-hmm. already since we've been here, we've already received like three winged entity reports. We just call them winged entities. We just group them all together. We don't say Mothman, humanoids. We don't know what they are. We call them wing, winged entities. And um, several Bigfoot reports, not many yet. Uh, we hold a, an event called the Tomlinson Run Bigfoot Days. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark, you were, you were here the, uh, uh, yep. for this one a yep. couple months ago. And uh, people are nice. starting to finally talk. Um, even the one we had an eyewitness who finally talked about this creature called the Beast of Bell Hill. Bell Hill is a, um, a small road about a mile and a half long. It's not that long. Um, we actually live about five miles or so from it. And during the 80s, there was a series of uh, strange, uh, basically animal mutilations, uh, people hearing strange noises, grain being eaten out of barns, um, a dead calf in a tree. I mean, there was all kind of weird things. Wow. And no one knew exactly what it was. They said, that, hey, you know, there was a Black Panther sighting. This creature was an alien. This creature was a Bigfoot. So we actually finally talked to a gentleman uh, I did last uh, last November who he claims that the creature he saw was a Bigfoot-type creature, which actually chased him from the woods down to him and three of his friends uh, down to the house. And he said this was like a cinnamon-colored ape-like creature that chased them. And I asked him, he actually still lives on the Bellevue area. area. When he saw it was about 80, 81. And he claims that uh, uh, on another occasion, uh, he went up into this field where they saw this creature. And uh, a couple years later, there was a calf all tore up. Didn't know what did it. And occasionally, I think he would hear screams, but nothing, nothing recent. So, but no, there does seem to be a, uh, when people see these things, especially Bigfoot, um, there's a, there's a marked reaction. There's a, a stress factor. They, I talked to several witnesses who, after they see a Bigfoot and they talk about it years later, they get goosebumps up and down their arm. It is a real phenomenon to these people. They've seen something that should not exist. And yeah, there's a definitely a factor, uh, you know, of if you see something that's not supposed to be there. So uh, I can't wait to read their book, guys. And uh, um, it's going to be out now. I want to get the second edition because there's even more in it. But uh, yeah, and that's what we need more of, too. I, 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 I applaud uh, Bill and Jackie for focusing, too, on that end of it. So many times people are just focusing on the creature or the event and not the actual uh, psychological effects that uh, these things ha- uh, bring to people. Uh, I think it's next. Uh, I think it's next week's show. Uh, we, you know, we'll be delving uh, more, more into um, the changes that happen after an abduction or uh, sighting. Um, so that's why I started the show off by saying you know, what the four guests tonight are 
probably going to be discussing are uh, themes that are uh, probably going to come up over the uh, next uh, tonight and uh, the following two weeks. Um, but it, it, you know, Brian, w- w- with uh, you know, like the calf and the tree. Um, you know, Panthers, uh, uh, they're, uh, you know, they have been known uh, in the area, and uh, supposedly they were, you know, hunted to extinction as uh, people uh, began settling the area. Um, Yeah, that's documented in, I think, uh, Caldwell's 1880, you know, recounts or recounting of the history of uh, Jefferson and Belmont counties. Um, uh, But, you know, just because someone said they're uh, now extinct, you know, doesn't mean that he had the trail cams and tagging uh, equipment that is available today to make such an accurate claim. So, you know, I, I believe, you know, you know, they could still be in the area. Yeah, uh, you know, basically, if you talk to, the, you know, uh, the DN, DNR in Pennsylvania, uh, they're going to tell you there's no reproducing. Uh, that would be mountain lions uh, in PA. Uh, any any that are being seen are either a misidentification of bobcats or if they are mountain lions at all, then they're uh, escaped pets or escaped uh, you know animals from from an animal farm or animal zoo things like that. Um, but I did. I, it's interesting. I was up at a uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, an outdoor show, and sometimes you know you go to these outdoor shows. If you you can you can get some of these DNR guys, you know, kind of like off to the side and things like that. They said, yeah, you know, we believe that uh, in Indiana County, there's a there's a, it's been at least uh, three of them seen up there. And he told me, you know, he kind of like eh, kind of like off record, but um, but we're not allowed to talk about it. So um, again, I think that there is there are some like like the Black Panther. Now this is a you know different you know, different kind of animal, you know, now there are, uh, they say that a lot of the mountain lions can go into a melanistic phase and they are, they could be black. Uh, but it just, a lot of this stuff just doesn't make sense. And I actually just tonight, I was at Fred Saluga and, you know, Fred will be on your show coming up. And one of the, uh, gentlemen, his name is Scott. He lives in, he's lived in this area all of his life. And he mentioned, yeah, there's been a black panther sighting down there too. And I'm like, even the gentleman who saw, the winged entity, uh, you know, the uh, Jersey Devil type creature. He says, "Yeah." He goes, "I'll have to introduce you. I know at least two people that have claimed they've seen them." So, um, you know, we've got like winged entities and black panthers down here with Bigfoot. So it's uh, it, it, it's fun. We're, we're having a blast down here. It's a whole new world for us. Uh, the whole the whole northern panhandle is. We're going to be doing events all year, including Cabela's in in. Uh, in November, and we hope to uh, try to get a lot of reports out of this area. So we're trying to hit it hard in the next three months. Okay. Go back to Steve. Um, Steve, when 
people are converging on Point Pleasant. Uh, you, you have the um, Athens Messenger. Is, is that the uh, newspaper office? Um, I, I, Mary Heyer was a stringer for the Athens Messenger. Uh, there's okay. a Point Pleasant newspaper, I think, is uh, – I'm, I'm not sure where it is, actually, where, where the office is. It's right there downtown. Yeah, it, it, but um, people can uh, walk around uh, town and you know, it, it ex- explore the area as well and walk in the um, sort of uh, – Mary Heyer and John Keel was, you know, they recount, uh, uh, you know, write, writing the Mothman prophecies. Yeah, they, uh, her office when she was there was right on Sixth Street, little white building, and uh, you know that was the same street where the bridge collapsed. Uh, that's the same place where Mary Heyer was visited by some very strange characters we put under the heading of Men in Black. Uh, and of course, uh, John Keel and Mary Heyer were friends and colleagues. And when the TNT area got so saturated with, with lines of people going in there, even a lot of them carrying guns and bow and arrows, thinking they were going to bag themselves a Mothman, they headed south down to Gallup's Ferry, deep into the hollers. And it can be pretty, uh, pretty desolate down there now. I mean, a lot of people live down there. But imagine what it was like a half a century ago. And they found places where they could just sit on a lonely hill and watch all the strange lights go over. They had a lot of uh, experiences. But uh, I encourage people to, uh, to read some of John Keel's stuff, his, uh, his articles, uh, the Mothman Prophecies. Uh, he was so far ahead of everybody and I think still is. I remember Nick Redfern writing in uh, one of his books that uh, – John Keel was always ahead of his time, and whatever afterlife domain he is now, he probably still is. So, uh, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that uh, uh, will talk to you about the area. Uh, it used used to be you, you didn't talk about this stuff. I talked to some of the old timers that said, you know, back in the '60s, you were crazy if you had an experience and you talked to somebody. Um, and you know, there there's still. Uh, Witnesses coming forward. I mean, Linda Sigmund was is going to be speaking at the festival. She saw this winged something when she was 16, about 12 miles north of Point Pleasant, along with some kind of a strange light. So uh, it uh, and if you go into the Mothman Museum, there's a great uh, lineup of books, including two that Jeff Wamsley has written: um, Mothman: The Facts Behind the Legend and Mothman Behind the Red Eyes. And he went back. And interviewed some of the original witnesses that hadn't been talked to for decades. So these books are just really valuable, and the the all the information in the museum is is very valuable. And I might also add, we got they've got five documentaries running all at the same time. And if you happen to go all the way to the back and watch the one that is called the Mothman Legacy, you may just get lucky enough to see my handsome countenance in there a few times as it plays. <laughs> Uh, kind of like seeing uh, the back of Brian in the actual Mothman Prophecies movie. Oh, no, he was in – we saw his front, but it was like in the next county. 
<laughs> jealousy, 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 Steve. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I, I was not in the Mothman prophecies, and I, I don't know. I, I thought my screen test was so much better than Brian's. Yeah, at least you can see your face. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what killed it for me. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and uh, you know, in Jackie and Bill's book, as well as uh, Keel's, you know, the Mothman prophecies, there the whole. Canola uh, Valley uh, corridor actually has a lot of um, Mothman sightings. Uh, you know, there's uh, one in uh, Dunbar. Uh, was something along I-64 uh, where a uh, craft landed on the interstate, um, but uh, Jackie and Bill um, argue that there were sightings, uh, a couple sightings prior to um, the more famous one at the TNT area that you know, got the whole Mothman. Legend started. Um, you now, Jackie and Bill, do you want to talk about the early sighting in uh, Clendenning? Sure. So, in Clendenning, West Virginia, there were three, three or four grave diggers in a cemetery that were taking care of their business, uh, digging a hole, and uh, they happened to look up and saw a brown flying humanoid just a few days before the first sighting took place in the TNT area. So that was the very first encounter. And around that time, other strange things were happening with uh, the gentleman uh, named Woody Derenberger. He had encountered the alleged spaceman injured cold in the Parkersburg area. So there were some really weird things happening uh, and some sightings of Mothman prior to the Scarberries and the Millettes meeting up with Mothman in the TNT area. There were also some sightings of a sort of a, a man bird like creature. It didn't really look a lot like the Mothman, but up around the Elk River Valley around World War One. This is reported in the Haunted Valley by John Gay. And uh, another just kind of an interesting side note. There was another bridge collapse. It was over the Elk River. Now, this is way back in 1904, I believe is the year. But it also took place on December 15th. Hmm. It, uh, we, we, yeah, right, right. At another confluence. Go ahead. Go ahead, dear. Tell them about that. Yeah, that, 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 that's it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Steve. I was just pointing that out. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I thought I thought he was telling me to go ahead, but I was done. <laughs> so, oh, well, no, I would so, call you dear, so, Steve. At least darn it, Jackie. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was I was just adding that that the, the 1904 Elk River Bridge collapse was at another confluence. It was the Canal River and the Elk River, I believe. Okay. Where the one in Point Pleasant. We went there. We we went oh, there really? uh, a couple times. Uh, once, I think in 2020, Steve, when we met you, I want to say it was the same 
the same trip that we were on when we met you the first time. And we okay. went to the confluence of the rivers, and there's an, uh, there is a Holiday Inn that backs up right to the the Elk and the Kanawha Rivers, right? And you can kind of walk down underneath the bridge and, you know, get down there by the water and take a look. I was really drawn to that area. I took off, and I'm not a runner, but I took off kind of sprinting towards the confluence, and Jackie <laughs> thought I was going to fall right into the river. But, um, yeah, it's it, you can you can sense – I don't know. Maybe it's in my head because I'm so into the whole Mothman thing. But I felt uh, I felt a weird energy there too. It, it, does the uh, December fifteenth date? Uh, it, it have some kind of. It, does it establish a pattern or is it just coincidence of just two events? I I, I know that uh, John Keel, who, of course, was in contact with many individuals he called silent contactees. They firmly believe they were in contact with some kind of a entity or space brother or whatever. And they would all start to get these predictions. Well, the predictions uh, started to converge. There was going to be some big event, and then the big event was going to happen on December 15th. It was going to be an EM effect, whatever that meant. Uh, more misdirection, I think. But uh, So that's that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, I, I think probably uh, I'm, the other bridge collapsing on the same date was coincidence, uh, but you know who really knows? I mean, who really knows what's what's going on behind the scenes? You know, when we get a lot deeper into all this. Interestingly enough, uh, earlier this year, my sister-in-law texted me a picture of a newspaper article <clears throat> from the Dixon Telegraph, Dixon, Illinois. Jackie and I live in Northern Illinois, and she had in this article it, it showed where there was a gentleman who's from the Dixon area who has researched all kinds of Dixon history for many, many years. And he talked about the Truesdell Bridge collapse, which happened, I think, in 1873 or something like that, shortly after the Civil War. Believe it or not, 46 people lost their lives in that bridge disaster also. My God. Hmm. And, and it was mostly women and children, and it was because it was a baptismal ceremony, and men didn't typically attend that type of stuff back then, apparently. And so they were staying on the bridge. The women and the children were staying on the bridge watching the other children get baptized when the bridge collapsed. Hmm. Wow. So we were surprised sure. to hear that. And, you know, our, we basically talk about the Silver Bridge disaster as being the deadliest bridge collapse in American history, which it is. But in the Truesdell Bridge disaster, as many lives were lost, and actually there were significantly more people who were injured than there were in the Silver Bridge disaster. Just kind of an interesting sidebar. You know, when you, when you do hear coincidences like that, you, it does give you a pause. You know that maybe mm-hmm. there's that there's something, some connection that we just can't even fathom. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know Keel talked about that, and a lot of other researchers that are his contemporaries. You know, look for those connections, and whenever you find them, it certainly, like to use Brian's phrase, it makes the the hair on your arms kind of stand up. 
Well, it, it and it also does invoke the possibility of like a reincarnation kind of theme. It does. It's interesting that you mentioned the reincarnation theme too, because when we interviewed Susan Sayer, who is Brittany's mom, Brittany is one of Jeff's uh, employees in the in the museum, and Susan is as well. But um, she had talked about having met a lady at the Cerrito Canova Fall Fest or Autumn Fest that they have out in that area, and they met her several years ago. And when she approached them she said i have to talk to you guys i have to talk to you guys she said i i really cannot stand being in in water and it really bothers me and she went on and on and on about things and she said that she went to a psychic who told her that in a previous life she died on the bridge when the bridge collapsed and she was reincarnated shortly after that which was which was really interesting that's that's in our book as well in susan susan's interview Jackie, Bill, you bring up uh, Andy Colvin's uh, life experiences in your book. Uh, He has a lot of uh, paranormal uh, experiences. Um, Jackie and I have... Spoken a little bit about um, his insights into um, one of the uh, factories there in the Kanawha Valley. Uh, uh, um, Anyhow, does Andy? see any prophecies from these events i you know keel was contacted by people about oh you know something strange is going to happen uh on the east coast he he really didn't know what but psychics or someone contacted him so it, it it seems like there are some reoccurring patterns in this stretch of the river. I it could it could be around the world as well. But uh, what were some of the uh, insights that Andy brought to your, your research? Well, I think for the most part, the insights that he brought and and our questions to him were specifically more Mothman related and paranormal related than they were bridge disaster related because he was in the North Charleston area when the bridge disaster happened and when Mothman was going on. And he and Harriet, who is also in the book, Harriet Plumbrook, were neighbors. And so when we talked to them, we talked specifically about their paranormal encounters first and foremost although they did both talk about the bridge a little bit too they were just young and they weren't in point pleasant so they weren't as directly impacted as the folks 
who are right there at ground zero. So, I mean, Andy basically talked about <clears throat> how what he noticed was after he had had his encounters, which one of them was when he and his mom and dad were driving to a bowling alley um, around the same time as a lot of the sightings were happening in Point Pleasant, he felt that he had seen Mothman flying behind the car when they were on the way to the bowling alley. And then he and his friend Tommy had built a shrine to Mothman. And when they entered this shrine, they had visions of what he thought was the Twin Towers collapsing and New York City burning from 2001. So it was a prophecy he felt that they had gotten as a result of having that shrine there and being influenced by whatever activity was happening in their neck of the woods. But he had felt all along that what was happening in the Ohio River Valley, he felt that the Charleston people really saw Mothman as kind of a Charleston phenomenon rather than a Point Pleasant phenomenon, that it kind of extended all the way down the Kanawha River to Point Pleasant, but that because Mary Heyer and John Keel did most of their investigations in Point Pleasant, Point Pleasant got more of the PR. So although there were reports that had happened of Mothman in his neighborhood, not as much of it was reported and certainly didn't make it to press the way that things did because of Keel and, and Mary Heyer and all the work they did. But he talked about being kind of observed, he and Harriet both, in their classes, they were in the same school, but they were both observed by people who came to the school who would administer tests. And with the two of them, they both, their, their uh, experiences manifested differently. Andy's was more on the artistic side, where he said what he would do is he'd be allowed to be able to draw and be able to do artwork throughout school all day long and nobody would interrupt him and he just listened to the lectures and was able to remember what the teachers talked about. Harriet on the other side of the coin was somebody who had total recall. So if she were to read several pages of a book, she could literally recite the entire thing right back to the people who gave her the tests. And she told us that she had been advanced one grade in school because she tested out you know, above and beyond what the grade level was. And they tried to boost her up a second one. But I think her mom and dad kind of put the kibosh on that because of the social changes that that would bring, not being with kids her own age. So I think that the both of them really, their their experiences kind of helped them. The way that, you know, Keel talks about with UFO people, oftentimes their IQs will skyrocket and they'll become really more successful in life. And I think with the both of them, you know, Andy through his publishing and his authorship and his research, and then Harriet with the practice that she has held where she was a therapist and really helped with a lot of post-traumatic stress and growth. She focused in that area, but uh, both of them uh, are very intelligent people. And Andy, Andy said this, I don't think Harriet did, but that they didn't, he didn't feel that he even had art as part of who he was until he had his encounters. Okay. Um, maybe a, a related question for uh, Brian and Steve. What you know, with all all the um, you know reports that um, Andy Colvin. Uh, discussed with uh, 
Jackie and Bill, we have um, similar uh, uh, flying humanoid cryptid creatures, like at the uh, Van Meter uh, visitor, uh, in a case. Um, it, you know, and in about a month or so, you know, Fred will, you know, be talking to us about a uh, river monster in, in the area. Uh, are some of these? Uh, oh, and you know, Fred has the uh, like uh, flying horse uh, reports uh, as well. Or are, are we? When you start putting together all these uh, almost seemingly mythical creatures across a wide expanse, is there some kind of uh, pattern we're seeing with these creatures? cryptids, how people respond to them, uh, you know, family, families of these um, creatures? Uh, uh, you, you start, Brian. Brian has uh, investigated uh, a lot of uh, strange uh, winged creatures in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to, after he's done, I'd like to say something about the uh, fan meter visitor. Okay. Oh, well, we, we, in Pennsylvania, we, you know, we, we've had some weird, you know, uh, wing entity reports. Uh, Daniel Hagman up in uh, Butler County, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, he, he had some reports of this creature that they called the Chikora gargoyle. And uh, basically this creature looked like, uh, basically like a gargoyle. It was like seven to seven to eight foot tall gray the wings wrapped around its body had a helmeted head and that was in 2011 and what was interesting um and uh steve i know i know steve was, saw the presentation that i gave about the winged entities yep. and uh when that came out 2011 i saw a drawing of that i had like i i, I got goosebumps up and down my arm i says i've seen this drawing i've seen this drawing in pennsylvania so and i, re- I happened to remember that uh, so we have a we have a uh, huge archive we call the the S files right and I had an old believe it or not it was a Bigfoot newsletter believe it or not and there was this drawing of this creature uh, in Allentown PA as about uh, I think it was about 100 some miles or so from Allentown to, to Chicora but it's in '93 it's the exact same thing and I re- I remember looking it up I'm like I know it's it and I found it and there happened to be a uh, there happened to be a, a lady's n- a name and phone number. So I'm like, you know what? The chances that this this person is still there or the same person. So I called and I'm like, uh, hello, I uh, I got your name out of a an old Bigfoot newsletter. Uh, was it, Is this you that saw the uh, – it wasn't her. She goes, yeah, she goes, this wasn't me. This was actually like a third party. It was her son's friend, basically. And she said about this about the, uh, the encounters, they were – these four people were coming home at night after the drive-in, driving down this dusty road. On the left side of the, the road, this winged creature was standing there. So we crossed the road. And what was interesting about 
this, and I've heard this in several other reports. They said this 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 winged being it walked like a chicken, believe it or not. And the knees, the, like the knees, the legs were bent backwards from the knees, and it just okay. walked almost kind of like a chicken walked, right? And when it went from the uh, left to the right side of the road, and they said when it got to the edge of the right side of the road, they said that the the wings went up, and it shot straight up in the sky. Now, they, they did not say that the wings flapped. It just, the wings went up, you know, to the side, and then it shot straight up in the air. And they were really shook, shook up. They went to the police afterwards, and the you know, police you know they they said they seemed really you know scared. But you know, I think they did drive out to the area and check it, but they didn't find anything. And in a couple other reports, actually, Steve, in the one book that that you bought me, that you wrote an article in about the winged creatures, I forget what it's called. Uh, Weird Winged Wonders, edited by Timothy Greenbeckley. An excellent book. They talk about a. Uh, a patrolman in a basin, I believe it was Puerto Rico, who saw one of these winged creatures, and he says when it was walking, it walked like a chicken. And I'm like, here's two, you know, there's Puerto Rico and there's the United States and Pennsylvania. These creatures, uh, similar looks, uh, similar the way they walked, wings, wings about, you know, on the side of their body. Uh, Jody Cook too, a researcher out of Ohio, saw he he had a, a drawing of a creature that was, uh, you know, on two knees. You know, it was on its, you know, like a hunch down, and the drawing was almost similar to these other two. And I did show the comparison at a talk down in Point Pleasant. It's like, you know, these people didn't know each other. They're drawing the same thing. And all across the world, there's there's uh, winged entities. Like I, I know in, in Indonesia, there's a funny one called the Whack Whack, believe it or not. And um, Steve, if you, if you come to Butler this year, you're going to hear uh, a little talk about the whack whack. Me and Terry are talking, so you'll you'll, you'll like it. I, I will alert the media. <laughs> <laughs> so if you like look at it, there's there's winged creatures all you know across the whole world, winged beings, winged entities. Choose your. I I I tend not to say Mothman because I I say Mothman for a specific thing down in Point Pleasant. There's another creature in Ohio by the Ravenna Arsenal. Ironically. Steve, it is a it was a, uh, a munitions plant during World War II. Hmm, where darn. did we hear that? Yeah, and there was a Freedom uh, a Freedom County in Ohio, right by the Ravenna Arsenal. They called it the Freedom Demon. Another winged creature that it was about seventy miles from Chicora and Butler, and that was uh, I think ten years uh, ten years before that. So again, there is there is these sightings all the way around the world, and um, it's just. It can't just be coincidence. I know that there's a, a book that I do want to get. Steve, you may want to get it too. A lady by the name of Margie Kay. She is a MUFON investigator, I believe, out of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And she has a book about wing humanoids out. I want to buy that one next. Okay. And uh, uh, she's gotten reports from MUFON, you know, with having to do with UFOs and even winged entities. So, oh, yeah, there's something to this, guys. Uh, what it is, I don't know. Could these be some interdimensional type creatures? Could they be creatures from UFOs? I mean, I, I people are seeing it. I got a report from Ohio too. Once, no, not excuse me, not Idaho. Believe it or not, that this um, one of these winged creatures entities was flying alongside of a, a telephone pole and a, a, you know power lines. So again, um, they're being seen. On, and I really haven't pressed this yet, but I think I'm really going to try to press to try to get a lot more reports across the United States of these things and dig deeper into that because 
it's exciting. You know, Steve, there's not really a lot of people doing research on the winged entities across the but across the, the problem, problem with some of those winged entity, entities, it's, it's uh, almost like you get a head-on collision between uh, some things that seem physical and biological, but then there's a high strangeness factor. I mean, exactly. Mothman showed up as an apparition sometimes. Uh, it would take, mm-hmm. wouldn't always flap its wings. The vampire mm-hmm. visitor looked kind of like a pterodactyl. And over yeah. a week, they call it, the, Chad Lewis calls it the week of terror. In 1903 mm-hmm. in Van Meter, Iowa, uh, this thing, uh, which looked, I guess, a lot like a pterodactyl, but it had weird properties. It had a horn on its beak uh-huh. that seemed to have a light attached to it. Uh, when they first saw this thing, they, they saw the light moving. They thought it was a, a, a burglar up on top of a building. And uh, another time, it, uh, it, was, it was in proximity of somebody who was in his room. It exuded some kind of a vapor. Uh, insert your own joke there. But it was something mm-hmm. that caused amnesia. I mean, the, the same kind of like missing. I mean, it's like a creature creating missing time. But another time it was seen on, standing on top of a telephone pole and climbing down a pole uh, using its beak the way a parrot would in its cage. And, hmm. and so you get this, this weird mixture. Uh, Keel talked about how people that experience cryptids or experience strange lights in the sky often would suffer the same physical effects. Conjunctivitis, thirst, muscle ache. Remember Connie Carpenter driving by the Mason County golf course, saw the Mothman. It flew over her car. The next day, she had eye burn, the way a lot of people do with close proximity to UFOs. Mm-hmm. One, more, one, one more point. Zelia Edgar has written a great book called Just Another Tinfoil Hat Presents. She's a Keelian, and she was dealing with some of these bizarre creatures like the Enfield Horror, three legs, arms protruding out of its chest and pink glowing eyes. Good Lord. Well, I hate to think what the mother and father looked like, but it, she calls, <laughs> she, she, she coined this great phrase, lost in transmogrification. As you Keelians know, uh, Keel talked about these things as being possible constructs, uh, transmogrifications of energy. And uh, so it's almost like, and she also called them flopped projections. You know, if these things are, in fact, some kind of manifestation, co-creation with us, whether they're tulpas or, or the collective unconscious, whatever, it's almost like every once in a while they just come out wrong or you only see them a couple times. What about the Dover demon? That poor little guy was only seen a couple times. He looked kind of like a, an emaciated gray without a spaceship. Uh, what, and, and we can all think of these bizarre creatures. I think the Jersey Devil wings were never big enough to lift it off the ground. So it's it's uh, it has this. That's what we de- that's what we're dealing with is the high strangeness factor. It's uh, people are seeing these things. The, the patterns are there. But to try and really uh, put these things together as strictly physical flesh and blood. Uh, Paraphysical is as close, uh, like Brian said, as I can come to. And let's not forget about the Chicago Mothman, who had, coincidentally, the first reported sighting was 12 years ago today. And that's the same thing. It's being reported as being different uh, sizes and shapes and appearances. You know, there was one sighting that looked like 
our Mothman. I'm going to call him my Mothman here in the Ohio Valley. And that was uh, three years before the Scarberries and the Mallets were chased down Route 62 in Kent, England. Uh, these kids were coming home from a dance. They saw a light come down behind a grove of trees, and then it disappeared. And then the light reappeared, and then they saw this creature shuffling along. It looked just like the creature that the Scarberries and the Mallets saw by the old North Power Plant, only this one didn't have red glowing eyes. Everything else they dub as Mothman, or just for convenience, doesn't really reflect, I think, whatever happened here in, in the mid-60s in Point Pleasant. You know, it really doesn't and, either. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, I, I was uh, just going to... Uh, nonsensically ramble. Uh, I'm sure you have so- something more intelligent to say. Oh, you, you, uh, you humor me. I nonsensically ramble all the time. Um, I was just going to kind of dovetail on what Jackie was talking about with the alleged, you know, Chicago Mothman phenomenon and all that. I'd forgotten that it was 12 years ago today when that, when that whole thing kind of kicked off. But uh, again, I mean, what we've, what we found because we, Jackie and I got involved with the Illinois State Director for the Mutual UFO Network, a guy by the name of Sam Moranto, and we met him about four or five years ago. <clears throat> he was the, the lead for MUFON's investigation into the alleged Chicago flap, and he and I were kind of at the same school of thought, and the three of us, Jackie as well, where we were not quite sure what was happening in Chicago, but wow, it was cool that something was happening in Chicago because we're close. But what we found in the time that we investigated what was happening there was there wasn't really a lot in common with Point Pleasant at all. And it really seemed like more of an effort to really kind of draft off of the 50th anniversary of the bridge disaster. When books came out and all the different things were happening, it just seemed to be a stretch of reality. And we didn't notice any high strangeness taking place in the Chicago reports at all. I mean, it was basically just, I saw this, I got scared. And uh, we'll go back and interview these people later and find out what else has developed. And that was pretty much it. But I, I also wanted to mention, because Brian brought her up, that we, we do know Margie Kay. Actually, we did a presentation to the Missouri MUFON people a few years ago to talk about really Sam's investigation into the Chicago phenomena. And we met her through that. And actually, we were invited to, to present at her first XCON which is coming up in October. The, the jury is still kind of out whether we can make the trip or not. But, uh, yeah, she's, she's a very, uh, I think, respected researcher, and she does a really nice job with the, with the channel that she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, you and Jackie had a uh, uh, well-done interview with uh, – and, 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 Steve, uh, you mentioned uh, – Chad's book on uh, the Van Meter visitor, um, and you know, pr- provided some descriptions of um, you know, this uh, cryptid, possible flying humanoid. Uh, Chad will be a, a presenter too, right? Yes, and, and it was uh, it was Chad Lewis, Kevin Nelson, and Noah Voss that wrote the Van Meter Visitor. Very, uh, it, they, you know, they stumbled onto this little piece of folklore. And it, it was so cool. But Chad will be speaking there on the Wendigo. He and Kevin Nelson 
And I think Noah was included. Yes, Noah Voss wrote the book on the Wendigo, Wendigo lore. Uh-huh. And I, Kevin Nelson will be there. And I, I believe his talk is on, uh, uh, you know, things like the Slender Man, these sort of uh, uh, digital cryptids or creations. I think that's going to be the subject of his talk. So it's a pretty good lineup. I remember uh, Chad, jeez, uh, uh, four or five years ago. Um, uh, I thought he did. Uh, uh, I, I thought he was a very nice guy. You know, I thought his uh, presentation was uh, really good too. I, uh, I hope he'll have a, a few copies of. Um, Uh, his Van Meter visitor, and uh, he's speaking Saturday at three, and ha- um, and he's followed by Kevin at four on Saturday. Right. Um, yeah. H- how's the um, new uh, venue for the speakers? I haven't been in it, but it's a VFW hall just down the street within uh, easy walking distance from the museum. So that's one of the things we were worried about because the place we had it last year is not is no longer available. The State Theater, unfortunately, is in very bad shape. And where they used to have it on the amphitheater, you know, it would have to, the weather would have to cooperate, but, you know, very hard concrete seats with the sun beating down and very difficult to have any kind of a visual display behind you. So uh, Jeff's had a great... Jeff always does a phenomenal job. I don't know how he does it, uh, putting all this together. Okay, so uh, that's at the uh, VFW. Right, just just right. Uh, it's on the opposite side of the uh, museum and just down a block or so. Okay, good. So, um, okay, uh, let's look at uh, Andrew Smith is yep. uh, going to be presenting – uh, Saturday at six o'clock. Uh, he's been a guest with us. Uh, he'll, he'll be discover, uh, d- discussing uh, the Flatwoods monster. Right. He, he, he's a uh, very knowledgeable speaker on the Flatwoods monster. I think that's uh, nice. Nice that uh, there's such a uh, open connection between two competing West Virginia uh, unexplained monsters. But Andrew will be there. And um, uh, Mark Randall has uh, worked on uh, Linda Sigmund's book. Um, can, can you tell us a, a little bit about Linda's book and or uh, Mark's artistic contributions? Well, I've, I've got her book will be here from Amazon tomorrow. And okay. uh, Mark does a phenomenal job. He, he and I did a book together uh, called mm-hmm. High Strangeness. And, and it's all about the year of the Garuda, the, the Mothman encounter in, in the mid-60s. And his artwork is phenomenal. Uh, he wrote uh, most of the pieces in it. I wrote four of them. 
uh, you know, John Keel, the Men in Black, uh, the Silver Bridge, and one other one I can't remember. You know, uh, Bill, you know, us writers just can't remember the stuff we wrote five minutes ago. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, but yeah, he he just does a. I haven't seen the illustrations yet, but he does an amazing job. And it was uh, like I say, Linda was on my show, and we went through the whole the whole thing. She uh, uh, she and her boyfriend were out. Uh, 12 miles north and they they had it, it's it's you have to get the book because it's a very bizarre experience it's not simply seeing this creature or apparition in a strange light there's a lot more to it there was some missing time and so forth and even uh she had a strange encounter the early december right in downtown point pleasant where she called saw a couple of very strange looking men dressed alike that look there was well, they were classic men in black, and she didn't as to what they were until years later when she read John Keel's book. So this is—I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I, it sounds like a, a fascinating story, and and, and, she's, and she's very, very credible. Okay, uh, um, and I—I you know, I really enjoy uh, Mark's artwork. I have. Uh, he autographed a uh, – I was a Braxy uh, poster oh, okay. for, for, for me. He he, uh, he he does some really interesting artwork. Um, how does he uh, you know, create the effects? It, 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 you know, it seems like you know, maybe he's using – um, an actual photo, and he's works in, um, you know, say, say Mothman in, in, into the foreground. I, Steve, do you know how he does? I, you know what? I, I wish I did, and I wish I had the skills that he did. Um, he's effective. I, I have made some posters that were kind of uh, tributes and spoofs to the old UFO report. And my technique is to piece it together. You know, if I if I had his talent and knowledge, I could shorten the uh, the time and, and and to put that together. Oh, he. You know, I think uh, Mark is a very talented artist. Uh, you know, to uh, check him with. Uh, you know, Linda about her her new book that that one sounds good and you know, Steve you have uh, Chatan Noir uh, discussing yeah, yeah she, Chatan Noir she yeah she'll be uh, talking about the uh, uh, oh the uh, Piazza Bird and some kind of uh, underwater panther I can't pronounce the name of it I guess we I guess we might as well go through and just talk about briefly the rest of them. Uh, That'll be there. Faye Laporte, known as Faye DeWitt, one of the early uh, experiencers of the Mothman. She went out there with her siblings. Her her brother was driving, and uh, man, it was a big joke until they saw it running next to the car. And you've already mentioned oh. Andrew Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. James McCormick is going to be speaking on UFOs and national security. Uh, Chris Reiser, the legend, life and curse of Chief Cornstalk, and some. Uh, some unknown guy. He looks very handsome, though. Named Steve Ward is going to be talking about John Keel and the Mothman prophecies. <laughs> you, do you notice a running theme here at all? <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that. 
and you know, and, and it, you know, yeah. There's also you know <clears throat> a little bit of a he- heavy metal theme that you know we've gotten into tonight. So, um, you know, it, it, it's nice getting to know you, uh, so so that we we can have. Uh, little comments like that <laughs> I, makes for a fun, sh- personalized show. It's always fun ripping on Brian. I will say that. Bart <laughs> <laughs> Ward. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve, I do want you to know, yeah. Sally is sitting here. She recognizes your voice, and she's looking at the phone, so I think she misses you. Really? Oh, I miss her, too. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if she were to meet my three cats what the uh, meeting would be like. She probably would. Uh, spit but, yeah, she gets. She doesn't like other cats. <laughs> uh, oh well. I love your cats, though, Steve. They were awesome. I can't wait to see them again. Well, y- your cat's a sweetheart too. So, mm-hmm. we, as you can tell, we're cat lovers, I guess. <laughs> okay. So, um, let's see what. Oh, um, I have a. Another question about a uh, the River Museum, uh, Steve. What's going on with uh, that? I, I, I'm really intrigued uh, since I uh, have developed this. Um, I think you know Barbara, you know, could tell you an obsession with the Ohio River. Uh, the the latest I've heard is they're planning on having it open for the festival. Now okay. I was lucky enough to be in the it burned down or at least at least part of it burned several years ago, and not too long before that, uh, a friend of ours, uh, John Lee and I, decided on a whim to go down to see the River Museum. We'd never seen it, and it was phenomenal. I mean that the 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 history of the of the river and the commerce, the the models of the of the boats. Uh, they they had a uh, they had a thing upstairs where you could uh, simulate driving a tugboat on the river. Uh, w- one time I almost drove up on Main Street, so I, I didn't really uh, you know get my license to do that. But uh, it's it just just so well put together. So I hope they have preserved most of of the uh, what was in there. It looks like a, a nice brand new building, and uh, you know I just hope that uh, they can have it open in time for the festival. Okay, so ch- where is the River Museum located? Is that uh, towards the uh, Two End Wee Park? Yes, yes, on the same side as the uh, Mothman Museum. If you go a little further, you'll hit the uh, the coffee pot where you can get uh, coffee and a wrap. Uh, and a little further is. Uh, Another one of Jeff's stores, Bunker 304, which is kind of a vinyl shop and a throwback to his uh, criminal record chain that he used to have years ago. Uh, if you go and then you go next to that or right about next to that is the uh, River Museum. If you go just north of the Mothman Museum, you'll hit the uh, uh, Point Pleasant Trading Company, which is very well put together. There's more uh, just everything in there, more T-shirts, more cool stuff. Uh, I, I brought a, a license plate that says Frogman 1955, and anybody that knows about the Loveland Frogman knows he was seen in 1955. So they just have a lot of cool stuff like that. 
Cool. Okay. Um, Jackie and Bill, there. It, you know, you also bring up the Garuda from Indian folklore. Um, it what uh, Andy discusses it in his section. Um, how how does the Garuda fit into you know, you know the uh, Mothman legacy? Is is it just uh, a you know, uh, cousin to the Mothman? Is, uh, is it something a very similar type of uh, flying humanoid. Well, the Garuda in, in uh, Eastern tradition really was at the top of the list of possibilities that Keel thought Mothman was. And basically, Garuda is the Eastern equivalent to what in the West here natives would call the Thunderbird. So mm-hmm. really okay. more in the Buddhist tradition, that would be the equivalent of, of Thunderbird or if we're looking at a totem pole, at the top of the totem pole is where the, the Thunderbird lies, you know, above uh-huh. human, human beings or ostensibly Garuda slash Thunderbird would be kind of an intermediary of uh, intermediary between humanity and the gods, so to speak, or God. So that was really what Keel thought that Mothman could be. In fact, his choice for the name of the Mothman prophecies really was the year of the Garuda because he had felt that the Garuda had made its presence known in Point Pleasant. And in Andy's interpretation of Garuda, meaning a protector deity or like a first responder or a harbinger, something that kind of warns of impending disaster, doesn't cause it, but warns about it or talks Uh about some type of inequality between what's going on in the world and what should be going on. And certainly a bridge disaster is not an ideal situation to happen in, to any community. Although when okay. we interviewed Susan Sayer, we had a conversation about that Mothman, because people link Mothman with a bridge disaster, and we didn't have any findings to that, but we did have a conversation that um, that maybe Mothman did save Point Pleasant because if it hadn't been for Jeff Wamsley finding all of his father's clippings of the Mothman reporting done by Mary Heyer, um, he would not have been able to open. I mean, he 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 opened the museum, and if that museum hadn't opened, uh, Point Pleasant would just be another little dying town in America. And you know, you know the Wamsleys have brought that brought Point Pleasant back to the map. I I agree. Uh, you know, Je- Jeff has just done a phenomenal job as as well as Steve and you know, what you know, the positive attention that y- your book has brought to the valley as well and when you're talking about the Garuda and the Thunderbirds, 
it, it, it just seems like, you know, the, the van, and, and Steve mentioned the Van Meter visitor, you know, the Chicago Mothman. It, it's, I think it, a, a, a lot of tonight's discussion, it, it just seems like a, a repetition of the same type of creature seen across the world and then you throw in these uh, two examples of um, uh, 46 people uh, dying from uh, during a a bridge collapse and you get a couple other examples of uh, bridge collapses happened on the same date uh different years but the same uh date it, it it just seems like there is some kind of interconnectedness that is e- emerging a- as we continue with, uh, with these discussions and you know I don't think I don't think we got into this last year uh but it Everyone has contributed more information uh, about these uh, the repetition of dates or uh, appearances of the animals. Uh, did Keel have any? Uh, uh, theories that he developed out of all of his research that would somehow uh, explain all of this information? That will only take about three hours to answer, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to start? Uh, well, you know, I guess, and I was thinking, too, with, with Keel, <clears throat> the entire Mothman Prophecies book, the way that he went about writing that um, and telling the story of what happened in Point Pleasant and what was also happening really simultaneously in Long Island, New York, where he was receiving all types of prophetic information from some sources that could be otherworldly, could be maybe he was a little hoaxed or what have you, but the Long Island and the things is really fascinating in and of itself. That's probably a story for another day, but I mean, really it seemed me that he felt that he was receiving all types of prophecies about things that were going to happen there. He talked about the assassination attempt on the Pope at that time in, I think, 1968, if I remember correctly. And the Pope was not assassinated, but there was an attempt. It was stopped, thankfully, so his life was spared. But then certainly Dr. Martin Luther King he received a prophecy that that was going to take place, that he was going to be assassinated. He had the month wrong, but the date right, because his source didn't give him the exact date. You know, he kind of felt like whatever these intelligences were, they, they only saw like part of the picture of what was going to happen. And either they were outright toying with him and misdirecting him, or they just didn't, they couldn't really tune into the future exactly as to what was going to happen. So, you know, he felt that he was getting these different prophecies, although he never 
necessarily tied them in with Mothman per se, but there were other people who were getting, you know, psychic visions of, of presence that were floating in water, which is really one of the more prominent themes that took place when this overbridge collapsed with the presence that loaded up, you know, out of the cars from people who were shopping for their families. And, um, you know, really he never could quite piece the whole thing together, but he did to some degree hold himself responsible for not knowing that what was going to happen in the Ohio Valley, because he knew something was going to happen, but there was a feeling in the air. It was palpable. You just knew something was going to happen, but he, he could never quite pinpoint that it was the bridge. He thought it was a, a power plant that was going to explode or some other kind of disaster. But how do you know this? I mean, how can you really ever know this? I mean, I, I feel bad uh-huh. that he held himself responsible in that way. That's one of the reasons I don't believe Mothman was a harbinger. You know, a, a, if, if uh, I've kind of joked about it, but it's not really funny. If if you really are a harbinger, can't you be more specific? Don't just chase cars and scare the hell out of people. You know, send some kind of concrete message where people might be aware that there's a problem with the bridge. Uh, John Keel used the term ultra-terrestrial, which he borrowed from his friend Ivan Sanderson. It was kind of a literary device. He thought that whatever this was going on was a natural condition of the planet, even though it might be sort of extra-dimensional. He seemed to think that we, that this was reflective, that we co-created some of this. And if you watch the development of UFOs and the strange lights in the sky over time, they do kind of change or manifest and always seem to be a little bit ahead of us. Um, so he uh, he had he had uh, uh, gotten rid of the extraterrestrial hypothesis by the end of the '60s. Although he backtracked a little bit on that, he he was he was uh, he was certain that there was more than one answer, and he didn't have all the answers. But uh, uh, Mark alluded to there was a whole series of events that are not in the Mothman prophecies. Just a little bit. Uh, Doug Skinner has preserved all kinds of of, of good stuff. Uh, from those writings. And uh, Andy Colvin republished uh, several of them in uh, books like The Big Blackout and The Big Big Breakthrough. But these are events that happened more on Long Island. But if you read between the lines, most of this stuff is coming through channelers or people saying they're having these experiences. Not so much John Keel having the experiences. So suggests that uh, uh, a lot of these things might not be i mean a lot of a lot of channeling is deceptive it's not um it's not all channeling is not created equal some is there it seems to be at a very high level and others isn't to kind of sum this up in the eighth tower he talks about how some of these transmogrifications of energy seem to last a while do what they do and then melt away but he also thought that he, he said I, I am embarrassed that I was you know, sitting out in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the hills, in the woods, uh, uh, talking to these entities through channelers and so forth and taking them seriously for a while because it was, uh, there was quite a trickster element to a lot of this stuff. And it was as evidenced when the Silver Bridge collapsed and they were completely misdirected as to what happened. Steve, I, you know, what – all the information that you just presented sounds like, uh, and we can go back to 
one of the shows Barbara did three years ago, maybe, uh, with Mark Stavish and, you know, the egregores. Uh, oh, yeah. that's one of the things discussion is like you know just one of those times you you start getting all these you know scholars of this uh, unexplained phenomenon uh, together and um, you know sometimes you get get them just you know, eventually bring up uh, you know that people uh, may have been in the right frame of mind to st- start thinking something to come alive. I you know there there is that possibility. And when you know Mark was a guest with Barbara, they went into. A lot more detail about it based on his book, but all the examples we've looked at uh, tonight, it, it, it gives more credibility to that uh, ancient concept that uh, you, know, uh, you know Mark brings up. It goes back to uh, you know, uh, I think ancient Greece. At, at least, I think that's where he started his book. I, you know, I, I just thought that everyone's contributions tonight just makes you have to wonder about those possibilities. I think that's one of the nice things about having the four of you as guests uh, tonight. Well, may I add one other thing? Uh, sure. I, I think uh, Keel was really onto something when he talked about uh, paranormal mimicry and the reflective factor. And the, and the when he would uh, he would entertain certain ideas about his research, and then he would find examples would come to him that would support that belief system. Remember, mm-hmm. he told us belief was the enemy, but uh, but it's also I think very likely that we're also dealing with. Uh, even Keel in, in Strange Creatures from Time and Space said that he thought some of these cryptids were, in fact, flesh and blood creatures. And he named the Yeti as a possibility, and he named uh, some of the lake monsters. Uh, I think it's very likely that some of these entities we're dealing with are physical entities. I don't know that they're E.T. I don't know. I don't know where they come from. Uh, Magonia, maybe. But uh, it seems like we're dealing with some kind of a, a duality. And for the uh-huh. life of me, I don't know how, if, that's, if that premise is true. For the life of me, I don't know how we can possibly sort some of them out. Say, oh, this is strictly paranormal and high strangeness. But no, this is a flesh and blood entity that is here for some particular reason. Well, I don't think you'd... I maybe my you know, cryptid research might be more of looking at things as more of you know, a flesh and blood creature. And you know, I've just kind of wondered for a long time if, if Mothman or you know, Thunderbirds uh, could be uh, more of a uh, uh, parts of a surviving 
family of pterodactyls that might live in uh, sparsely populated uh, communities, but you also can't rule out some the thoughts that people may have that um, generate them to come to. Uh, come to life I, you know, uh, in the Bible you have uh, something like you know, pe- people praying together can you know bring changes it's kind of about the same kind of topic um, two or more are gathered together it, 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 yes that, uh, that's it it uh, gives almost you know, basically the uh, it's the same principle. I, you know, um, I, you know, I don't think uh, you, know, you know the Bible is you know, referencing Mothman, but the ideas that Mark Stavish has in his book, um, and I think he started with the uh, Greeks. It, it you know, that's kind of you know, may, maybe around the same time period. It shows that it the concept has been around for a long time and it works. Yeah, you know, I just think everyone contributed some really interesting points tonight. I think we got more in, involved in this than you know, we have. In previous discussions, well, it's it's you know so many oddities. I mean, the the Houston mm-hmm. Batman from the fifties seemed like some guy in a flying suit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some people were seeing these Thunderbirds, but they were glowing. I remember Keel wrote somewhere one time he thought that if if the entity or whatever it is is glowing, the chances are it's 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 paranormal. I can't can't remember the the source, but. Uh, but yeah, this is. I've really enjoyed the discussion tonight. Uh, very uh, nice to get together with a, a bunch of weirdos that uh, follow the same stuff that I do. Yeah, that, that's us. That's us. In a good way, of course. Of and course. nice to meet you, Brian. Yeah, yeah, you too, man. I can't wait to meet you guys in person. We yeah, look forward to that too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brian, when um, you know, you're uh, going to be doing your Cabela's uh, presentation, what what's going on with uh, that? Uh, you know, your discussion. Uh, are, are there other people you're, you're going to be at uh, Cabela's in the Highlands? In November. Yeah, yeah, November. I, I think it's. I don't have the calendar right here in front of me. I think the uh, 18th, 19th. That would be the, um, uh, you know, before right before Thanksgiving. And uh, we're gonna have like a on that Friday. We're going to have a um, a town hall, which hopefully people come out and tell us their encounters. Um, hopefully it did better than the Tomlinson Run, where no one really wanted to talk except. Some of you know some of the people that we brought in uh, to talk about their encounters, um, and then the next day we're going to have uh, I think it's uh, the events going to run from ten to five, but our presentations I think we're going to run eleven to five. We have five speakers, um, 
I guess I can announce them, although we're announcing them on Facebook one at a time. You know, one at a time. We're going to have uh, uh, Les Odell. We're going to have um, uh, Doug Waller, uh, Dan Hagman, Bill Rigby, and lastly, me and Fred, which we're going to be on first. But, uh, you know, uh, and we all, hope, you know, we hope to, to really generate uh, some more sightings down there. Uh, from around, you know, from around the tri-state area, and uh, we hope it's a good event, a free event. So if you're in the area, come on down. It's going to be in a small conference room, so get there early. <laughs> last year, not last year, the last time they had it, they had it downstairs. This year, it's going to be upstairs in the conference room. We'll have some vendor tables selling some things. So um, we're really looking forward to um, uh, to having it. Thanks to Fred Saluga who went down there and asked him why, why they don't have it anymore. They used to have it years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, thanks to Fred, it's continuing, and uh, we're going to help, uh, you know, co-sponsor it with uh, Bass Pro and Cabela's. Yeah, they, uh, you know, the Cabela's uh, had uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum there. I met him uh, after his uh, presentation on uh, Bigfoot. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he makes. Uh, a very compelling uh, presentation about you know, skin movement and mm-hmm. you know, uh, muscles. Uh, you know, uh, the Patterson Gimlin film d- does not reveal someone in a suit. Yeah, we were there for that. We were there for all of them, and we actually, Fred and I actually did speak at one of the uh, one of the events. And one of the funny the funnier stories is when I was talking about mountain lion reports, and I said, "Well, when you talk about mountain lion reports, if you type in cougar, you're really not going to get about cougars. You're gonna <laughs> cougar also has another meaning." And I said, "I said, and I the, the I told my wife I was." Yeah, and I, and I told told my wife I was sorry. <laughs> I wasn't looking for that, but people laughed at that. They thought that was a good one. Well, there's Mark's next show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, that was uh, pr- probably just going to go, go directly to uh, being banned. Um, well, it'd be, it'd be, it would be Mark's last show, but it could be the next one. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, there's been, been one case where Barbara got kind of mad about uh, 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 one show, and and YouTube banned a couple other. You know, well, one they just got pulled pulled down uh, uh, after being on YouTube for a while. So, you know, I've had a couple of those, uh, but they uh, they weren't really controversial topics, but. It, Anyhow, uh, yeah, I don't want to push my luck with <laughs> with that one, but but uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, Panthers. And I I can actually do something about on that one. It'd be a short show, but uh, there is information uh, you know I, I I could develop. But um, you know, we're down to uh, a couple more minutes. But uh, uh, Jackie and Bill, do you have? Uh, any concluding r- remarks? Any other uh, conferences you want to plug other than the Mothman Festival? 
Well, we're supposed to be doing a book signing at the River Museum the Friday before the Mothman Festival, so it would be on the 15th. And then um, Bill mentioned it that the XCon is scheduled. They, they changed the date, so we're not absolutely positive we're going to be there, but we're planning with hopes that we could be there, and that is October 30th, 31st, and November 1st, and that is in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay, and everyone will have to, uh, if you're going to be in Point Pleasant on Friday the 15th after you see Jackie and Bill's presentation, you can meet all of us at the Village Pizza. And uh, I will be speaking at the Exeter UFO Festival with Mac Maloney's gang on, on Labor Day weekend. The next week, I'm going to go to the Flatwoods Festival just to hang out. Mm-hmm. And uh, leading up to the Mothman Festival, I will be in the TNT area. Well, I'll be working on my talk, of course, but I'll be in the TNT area hanging up big, creepy crawlies with red glowing eyes to scare the hell out of the uh, attendees at the tour. Cool. And let's see, how's uh, your uh, uh, work with uh, Mac uh, uh, going? He he, you know, he has an interesting book on uh, uh, ancient crafts from you know the Roman period, Greeks. Uh, how's how's that going? And every uh, other- his, well, his show is a lot of fun. You never know what's going to happen. I usually do a fringe report. And, you know, it's, it's uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey Talkington, a friend of ours, when he hears my show, The High Strangeness Factor, and hears me on another show, he says it should be a drinking game. Every time Steve says, John Keel, you take a drink. Of course, she would last <laughs> five minutes. Okay. So, all right. So, uh, we'll see everyone at the Mothman Festival. We're ju- just uh, out, out of time. Th- thank you, and we will talk to you. Uh, next week. Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks.